This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 72nd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing very well. We had big news in Springfield today. Yeah, we did. Uh, it looked like for a second that maybe Art Bryles was going to be the new football coach at Missouri State. Man, I saw those reports come out last night where they were down to Bobby Petrino or Art Bryles, and I was just like cracking up about that. Yeah. Because last week on this podcast, I think I said, Missouri State does not care about winning. And well, they might have gone very far in the opposite <laughs> direction to prove me wrong on that one, because yeah. they are clearly interested in winning at any cost. Um, I don't know how involved Art Bryles really was in this process. You know, they may have... Are we looking at a potential just PR masterpiece here from Missouri State by floating Art Bryles out there right before you hire Bobby Petrino? That I saw that where it's like, how bad is Art Bryles where, I don't know, I can't remember the tweet I saw exactly. It was like, yeah, basically alluding to the fact that when Bobby Petrino is considered like the safe option out of the two guys, yeah. then how bad was that other option? Exactly. He looks like an angel comparatively to Bryles, but... Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, we might get to see him tonight, too. We're going to go to the Missouri State basketball game after we finish recording and maybe get a little Bobby Petrino action. Set up an interview. Oh, everything. yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up since it's pretty big news here in Springfield and across the nation. There was a Washington Post article uh, basically lamenting the fact that Missouri State had chosen Petrino and given him his, quote, 17th second chance or yeah, something like I've that. I've seen a lot of national sports writers talking about it. It's really kind of been the big sports news today. Pretty crazy. I think maybe a little bit overblown, but uh, I think maybe there is a little bit of the reverse effect of what you're referencing is when people see both of those names attached to the same school, it's like, okay, were they just trying to get the scummiest guy possible? Right. So I, I, he's probably a great coach though. I mean, if they, if, if he behaves himself, and they really just kind of turn him loose and let him run the program he wants to run. And if they're not good in like three years from now and he's still the coach, I don't think anybody can turn it around. No. I think it just might as well put it in the dirt, man. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to agree. Uh, obviously, we've got some Mizzou basketball to recap and preview. Uh, normally, we do a news segment here, but really the only pertinent news this past week was uh, Mario McKinney entering the transfer portal. I think we will skip that for now and kind of just uh, keep uh, keep things in chronological order and just go through everything as it happened the past week, uh, which means we start out with the fact that it was announced before the Florida game that McKinney was suspended indefinitely. Um, and then right as the Florida game was starting, I noticed he was active on Twitter, which you never really like to see, but he also was kind of he retweeted the Florida team account in support of one of their players that he's probably friends with seems to be friends with and that's normally fine like I would never take issue with that but just seemed oddly timed when your team that you're suspended from is going up against this team and you are positively retweeting their team account yeah. Just kind of, I don't know. Literally any other game, if he like is rooting for his Florida friend, then that's fine. I yeah. don't even bat an eye. But yeah, when you're playing against Missouri, then it's like, okay. Yeah. Literally right at game time. Right. And you're suspended. Yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah, I agree. Um, what did you think? Obviously, we know how everything ended up. But what were you thinking when you just heard about the suspension initially? I don't know, man. I Obviously, Marty McKinney has not probably come in and had the year that he thought he would have. Um, I think he felt like he would get more playing time. And that's probably common for a freshman to th come in and think that they are going to get a lot more playing time. It's just, especially guys that are 
more heavily recruited. Like he was, I would say he was pretty heavily recruited. He was a yeah. four-star player, number one player in Missouri. Whenever you get that kind of attention coming out of high school and you win like three or four state titles in a row, you probably think you are the greatest thing ever. And that's understandable. And so when you get to Missouri and you're like 10th out of 11 on guys that are going to see the floor, then you're probably thinking that it's not my fault. It's the coach's fault. Right. And I don't know. That's purely speculation from my part, but I could sense there was some frustration uh, with him probably in the amount of playing time he was getting. And I honestly think that the the play style that Missouri likes to play with uh, just doesn't really go that well with Mario McKinney style anyway. He's kind of a run a gun guy, super well, athletic. Four years of Ashan just running as fast as he could up and down the court. Exactly. And we know Missouri likes to play pretty slowly. So there's pr- just some philosophical differences probably between him and the coach on how they want to play. And so I, I was not shocked um, to see him suspended. Um, I, I didn't know if it was academics related. I didn't, I, I guess I still don't really know exactly what happened. I mean, we've heard some rumors and stuff, but. It's just not super shocking to me, this whole thing, I guess, to say. So going into a Florida game uh, now without Mario McKinney, which isn't a huge deal um, as far as the game plan is concerned, but uh, without Jeremiah Tillman, of course. Um, But Missouri just showed up and handled their business and most importantly made shots, which can just obviously completely change uh, how a game plays out. This was so fun to watch, yeah. and everything that we're going to say about this Florida game, I feel like is going to be changed because of the game we just watched last night, and that's so unfortunate because this was one of the best games Missouri's played in quite a while, mm-hmm. And but knowing how they just completely fell apart against Mississippi State, it just kind of changes talking about the Florida game, but yeah. let's try to live in that moment yeah. and recapture that because that was... Like I said, just so fun to watch. Right. Yeah, it, it was really fun. Um, and I, I have to wonder if Konzo was just a little bit at his breaking point with how things had been going um, with the incredibly stagnant offense and not shooting very well. And so clearly Missouri came out in this game like with a very different offensive game plan and, and – they they played faster than they normally do. It felt like I think they still had a similar amount of possessions, but it really felt like they were I guess more aggressive is a is a better way to put it. They took shots earlier in the shot clock. I felt like they pushed the ball in transition. And Conzo's even said in interviews, I think we could get ten more points a game from scoring in transi- scoring in transition. And so not only did they do that, but I think just the overall energy helped them make shots. Yeah, and uh, the possession number is kind of interesting because. I would be interested to see kind of how, uh, what pace they were going, you know, at halftime versus what it ended up as, because, uh, I could definitely see it being a little bit higher than it ended up just because, you know, when they were up by 20, uh, for, uh, you know, they were up by around 20 for a lot of the second half. So they probably took their foot off the gas a little bit at that point, just tried to bleed some clock, which is going to shift the possession number down dramatically Mm -hmm. right um so the fact that they were bleeding clock at the end of the game and still came out with the same number of possessions as they had their last three games that tells me they definitely were playing faster earlier in the game for sure yeah and i I think a big piece of this was not only that missouri was playing differently and they were playing well and making shots but i just think that florida never saw this coming and i think they we just kind of caught them with their pants down if you uh if you will i guess and because, they, I mean, imagine being Florida game planning for Missouri. All you've seen is very like very much one look from them all year. They go slow, and they don't make very many threes, and they're not great offensively, and they just lost Tillman, and they're 0-2 in the conference. Uh, they just lost a game against Tennessee. They should have won. You're probably not really respecting them very much. And then they come out and just do something completely different and they just start making shots and they start playing faster. And you're probably thinking like, what on earth are we going to do? Yeah. And offensively Florida wasn't terrible. They still scored like 75 points. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they offensively were terrible, but I just think defensively they were not ready for what Missouri did. Yeah. Florida still shot uh, 10 of 23 from three and uh, got to the free throw line a lot. They couldn't do anything inside, which um, I think, the fact that they were able to get some threes to go down um, at a decent clip kind of helped out their overall offensive numbers a little bit because they shot 35% on two pointers. And even uh, Kerry Blackshear, who's one of the best 
uh, forwards or big men in the SEC was only three three of seven uh, from two. Uh, the only thing they could really do was get to the free throw line, which we knew they were pretty good at. And Blackshear himself was 10 of 11 uh, from the free throw line. And then Noah Locke was six, uh, was four of six from three. So those two guys were really the only thing offensively. Um, other guys made some some good, uh, made some timely free throws. But those two guys were Florida's whole offense pretty much yeah. the whole time. Yeah, I was still really impressed by Blackshear. Knowing, coming into the game, I knew he was going to be a problem. And I knew that he was you know, probably potentially a first-team all sec -er. Um He still really blew me away. He Even on kind of an off night for him, at least on the inside, um, he's, a, he's a really, really good player. And did we play Florida again this year at in Florida? I don't know off the top of my head. Well, I kind of hope we don't because I feel like they're going <laughs> to get the revenge. And, man, Blackshear is honestly the exact kind of player i feel like we don't want to run into and we do not play florida again we kind of see we kind of saw a similar player in mississippi state uh reggie, with perry. reggie perry and he destroyed us so yeah um, i feel like if blackshear got another crack at us he might uh probably not gonna have two off nights yeah exactly yeah. um as far as missouri's offense goes um besides the fact that they just i mean they shot 60 percent over 60 percent from three um i did notice that they were pulling the trigger on shots a little bit earlier in the shot clock than they normally do. Um, one thing, though, that Conzo Martin has talked about a lot that I specifically noticed in this game is, uh, and, and uh, Coach Martin actually talked about it after the game in, a, in an interview, he talked about Drew Smith being shot ready. And that's one thing that I think he really needs to incorporate into his game a little bit more because there are times where the ball's swinging around the perimeter and he's got an open look, and he just doesn't take it. I mean, and I was comparing it to Jordan Geist from last year. And when the ball was swinging around the perimeter and it ended up with in Geist's hands, you know, with 15 to 20 seconds left on the shot clock, he would let it fly. And I think Drew Smith is a good enough shooter. I think he showed that at Evansville. He did take more of those shots, I think, because he was needed to. He, he was relied on more to produce more offense. And he does a great job of knifing into the lane and, you know, being crafty and using his pivot foot and all that kind of stuff, pump fakes to score. Uh, but I think he could just take advantage of the defense a little bit more because they'll, they'll sag off of him a little bit. And uh, the fact that I noticed that and then right after I watched the replay, uh, Conzo Martin was talking about Drew not being shot ready. That kind of jumped out to me as a, an issue that could come back up in the offense. And then, sure enough, we did see that against Mississippi State. Yeah, I definitely expected Drew Smith to shoot more, um, I guess, just when thinking about what this offense might look like before the season started. Um, and I think he has shot more at, as, as of late, and he's shot very well mm -hmm. at times. Um, obviously, Mississippi State was an outlier, but yeah, I agree. I, I think he needs to take more shots. I think at this point, we can deem Missouri's offense as uh, kind of malfunctioning, and not, and he just, we, we need good shots takers yeah. to, to just go ahead and, and do that yeah he had a, a fantastic game against florida though 22 points um and six assists and five steals and that was one thing that jumped out to me too is even though florida they florida made enough shots and enough free throws to uh, score 75 points obviously but um drew smith was his hands were everywhere even balls that didn't turn into turnovers he was still you know altering passes and not letting the guards just dump it down to their big men, you know, over and over again. He, it seemed like the coaches did a good job, you know, with the scouting report. And, uh, he just really, it looked like sometimes he knew exactly what Florida was going to do. And sometimes it, they just threw the ball right to him. So I was pretty impressed with his defense, even though, um, so far in SEC play, Missouri, you know, they they were known for their defense coming in and out of the non-conference. And I don't, I mean, they've dropped. Their defensive rating has dropped every SEC game so far. So that's not the best, but uh, that also coincides with Tillman not being in any of these games. Um, how about Xavier Pinson's dunk? That was nasty. <laughs> that was so awesome. He uh, put it around his head. Yeah, and there were a couple uh, against Tennessee. There were a couple times where he just got denied. Uh, and actually, earlier in the Florida game, he got blocked. And it was just like, man, come on, we need somebody that can finish. 
Yeah. And then he showed that he, uh, at least at times, is very capable of doing that. Yeah, he was just like, all right, I'm getting, I'm done getting blocked. I'm just going to take this right to the rim. And he did that for yeah. sure. Mark Smith got a dunk, barely. <laughs> barely got that over the rim. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like uh, not only did we just seem like we played more aggressively, but um, it seemed like we were more committed to driving to the basket against Florida. Um, saw Torrance Watson get to the hoop a couple of times and get fouled. Mark Smith, like you mentioned, um, it, yeah, it, it seemed like there just the offense was not so much. Um, I don't know. Just what am I trying to say? Well, I mean, they've been stagnant at times, and one-dimensional is the yeah. is the term. I guess I was looking for. It just seems like they're always just looking to either get the ball to Tillman or just shoot a three. And obviously, Tillman's not playing, so. Other guys had to step up and say, we got to get this ball inside somehow. Yeah, and I thought, honestly, watching the Florida game without Tillman in there, I thought this might be like, you know, a light bulb coming on for the offense and being like, okay, with Tillman not in there, we're going to have to, we still need points in the paint. And they just they just annihilated Florida in points in the paint. And I just thought that maybe they had turned a corner and and realized something, that they can get to the lane, they can finish at the rim. They can draw fouls. Oh, my gosh. I just can't believe how – I mean, we saw one of the best offensive – I mean, if you look at the Ken Palm era, keeping track of points per 100 possessions or offensive efficiency, we saw probably a top 20 performance against Florida. We saw 51 points in the first half, 91 points in the game. That's how many they scored when I went and watched them against Chicago State. And then – Spoiler alert, they come out against Mississippi State and score 45 and have the sixth worst offensive game in the Kempom era, which is since 2001. For Missouri? Yeah. Wow. That's just, I like, I knew it was bad, but that's, that's really something. And yeah, it, it just makes it even worse knowing it, it's right on off the back of this, of the Florida game. It just does not make sense. And I think that's why people are so frustrated with just the, the team right now. It, it feels like we just had one of the best wins we've had in, like, I don't know, a top three win in the last two or three years probably against Florida at home. And that was less than a week ago, and it already feels like it didn't even happen. Yeah. Like it, everybody's forgotten it. Everyone's just back to being, like, frustrated with the Conzo because the inconsistency is unbelievable. Like this team does not know what it is, and it's like – Whenever we do have a good night, it's like, oh, I know you're not going to be able to do that again. You don't even know what you did, just did to do that. Right. And I, that's what I think what frustrates me so much is when they do have a good night, it's like, well, you just got lucky and hit shots. And right. that's really the only explanation. It's not like he really meant to, to do anything different. You just happened to make some more shots. Yeah, it sure seemed that way. I mean, in the Florida game, everybody was contributing. Um, Mitchell Smith made two threes. Javon Pickett made two threes. So they were both two for two. So when when the three-pointers are falling like that, you can that's, – that's how these kind of upsets happen. I mean, this was an upset to beat Florida. Um, anything else in particular? Um, I think the, the games that were played this past week are maybe not quite as important as just kind of the, the overall – you alluded to it, kind of the overall attitude surrounding uh, the basketball team right now, at least from the fans. So um, anything else in particular about the Florida game you want to talk about? Nope. So uh, one interesting thing that happened after the Florida game was um, Xavier Pinson was interviewed and specifically talking about his play uh, as of late and just kind of dealing with uh you know playing time and setbacks and being coached and things like that so uh, i thought it might be interesting to listen to that interview and then um talk about how what we thought about it at the time and then how it took on a whole different meaning when we learned that uh, mario mckinney was transferring so i will be attempting to insert the audio straight into the podcast we're going to listen to it real quick and then give our thoughts 
And I'm not going to lie, coach got on me real bad after last game. And uh, it was either two options. I could have folded and pouted and entered the transfer portal. Or I could just work hard and do what I'm here for. And don't pout and don't enter the transfer portal and just stay here. So, I mean, I just took it like a man. Uh, when he told me the things I needed to work on and tell me what I needed to do to be a better teammate and help my team, I just did that and I'm going to keep doing it. Him getting on me was mainly the whole, like, the whole, my whole anger and hunger today on the court. That was all him. I mean, I couldn't thank him enough. He got on me and, like, I was kind of embarrassed, but there's nothing you can do. I mean, I just had to take it in and learn from it and keep working harder and keep doing what he tells me to do. I mean, he's not going to steer me in the wrong direction. So I just take everything he says in and take it in like a man and work on it and get better. Can you tell me who uh, gets the credit for that uh, yes. tweet and interview? <clears throat> that was Andrew Kaufman of uh, ABC 17 News. Cool. So um, the, my first thought when I uh, saw that interview was uh, actually I was just thinking about the last bit there when he's talking about Coach Martin and coming off a big win and hearing those kind of like positive vibes from a player that let's be honest if over the past couple years if you had said you know if you had to put a percentage on which players you thought were going to be four-year guys at mizzou versus who might you know see their way out the door at some point i'll be honest i would have put xavier pinson towards the top half of that list and i was just so happy to hear that kind of talk from him specifically about being coached and being coached hard and bouncing back and taking criticism well and powering through and all that stuff and coming off a big win against Florida I was uh, I was right back on the uh the hype train the, you were blinded uh, by the light yep I was and uh I mean it's I'm not going to ever hide that I'm a really big fan of Conzo Martin and I think uh, I just he's going to be like He's going to be my guy that I want to be successful more than anybody else that I've ever seen coach any of my teams. And hearing those thoughts from Xavier Pinson just elevated that even more where I was like, okay, here we go. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm thinking, okay, how can we get to 11 conference wins? How can we get on that NCAA tournament bubble? So that's where my mindset was hearing that. Yeah, and it, it really was encouraging, um, especially, like you said, the second half of that interview. Um, I think, however, whenever I first heard the interview, I tended to kind of think more about the beginning of it and how he was talking about how he just decided to kind of man up and, and get better and, and listen to the coaching staff rather than pouting about it and transferring. Because um, that, that is like a pretty distinct reference to yeah. and and i thought that is one of two things he could and maybe it was both he could be making kind of a general statement just on the the way college basketball is right now because that kind of just seems like that happens everywhere players players don't get the playing time they want or players aren't doing as well as they thought they they would and so maybe they think it's a some kind of kind of like we talked about earlier yeah um and they usually probably don't think they're the they're the ones at fault so they just decide they're gonna go go elsewhere and that's fine and a lot of times it works better if you find a place you know that, that you think you fit in better or whatever the case is so I thought he might just making a might, might be making a uh, general statement about college basketball but I also thought that it could be about his teammate Mario McKinney because at the time he was his teammate and I had, was obviously aware that he had just gotten suspended right before the game um and so now, looking back, yeah. it seems very much like that may have been what happened. And, it, and I almost wonder if Mario's mind was publicly, at least among the team, made up before that game even happened. And be, because it just sounds like that is exactly what happened with Mario. Yeah. The playing time wasn't there, or whatever the case was. He, things were not going as swimmingly as he thought. He And Xavier might have been saying, hey, he's, he's going to pout and he's going to transfer. And that's exactly what seems like what happened. Yeah. When you brought that up, I literally, I don't know. I felt dumb that I didn't realize that before you, cause you brought that up. Um, 
you know, I think before it was even announced that uh, McKinney was transferring, we were, you know, texting about it and thought, we thought, oh, well, let's uh, play this interview on the podcast and talk about it. And when, in reference to the transfer comments, I actually took it a, com- a completely different way that I thought he was only talking about himself and that he had experienced this, you know, specific choice recently is what it seemed like, you know, just talking about being criticized after the most recent loss to Tennessee. I thought he went through this big decision of whether he is going to stick it out at Missouri and, or if he's going to pout and transfer. So I was like, wow, that's kind of alarming that he was, you know, really considering this option. Um, even though obviously it seemed to have turned out okay. But as soon as you mentioned Mario McKinney, and then obviously after the transfer took place, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) And you never know. I mean, we'll never truly know probably what Xavier was referring to. Um, But yeah, it it really, and and maybe he was just talking about his own personal thought process, but probably not. Probably not. (laughs) And and I, I probably don't even want to speculate about s- some of the rumors that I've heard about Mario McKinney, but it sounds like there may have been some kind of conflict between him and, and a teammate, and maybe that's Xavier. I don't know. That's, again, 100% speculation, and maybe I shouldn't even say something like that, but you know, there I, it seemed to be the problem with Mario was that I think he felt misled in his recruitment because I think he felt like there were there was less guard depth on the roster than there is and obviously that's something that he should probably do his own research and see and look at the roster and know himself how much how many guards are on this roster and how many of them are already have some experience here uh, under their belt and Xavier's one of those guys that's ahead of him yeah in in the guard depth and so and similar type of player although yeah. I would argue uh, Xavier Pinson has more uh, just pure point guard skills sure than Mario does at the moment so you could definitely see a scenario where there was some direct conflict between the two of them. I know they were good friends at one point, but who knows now. So, yeah, that was a pretty interesting whole situation with, with that interview. Yeah, so uh, interview aside, uh, McKinney decides that he's going to enter the transfer portal. So I think everything was kind of summarized pretty well by... Um, Dave Matter, uh, in an article with the, uh, post-dispatch, um, he kind of went through the process there, uh, in this article, he, he points to a, uh, tweet and then a Facebook post from McKinney saying, uh, quote, it's been real Mizzou, but all this comes to an end. Appreciate everyone that helped me since I've been here. Love y'all wish none but the best. So that made it official, basically. And uh, I don't know, it just, it seems like such a, I don't know, it seems sad, you know, that a player that we personally watched, you know, play in high school, watched him win a state title here in Springfield and followed his recruitment. That was a huge recruiting class. Um, At the time was the number one player in the state stays home he's got the family history from st louis yeah st louis kid and for it to just not have that happy ending that we were all looking for is really disappointing but i don't know those are those were my thoughts when i first saw the news it just seemed like with the when the suspension was announced and uh just when his activity on twitter during the florida game as meaningless as that may seem you know that it just kind of all adds up. Yeah. I think I'll always respect him for picking Mizzou when he didn't have to, um, considering he's from St. Louis and we know the history between Mizzou and St. Louis. And it just hasn't been a whole lot of connection between those two um, places um, in recent history, especially. So, you know, I'll, I'll respect him for picking Mizzou out of high school and really wanting to come and make a difference for the home state. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. I yeah, hope it doesn't hurt future recruiting with St. Louis, but right. who, who really knows? You talked about the guard depth, and that is actually specifically brought up in this Post-Dispatch article. Um, it cites another Facebook post where he where McKinney specifically calls out the guard depth and talks about not knowing that there were five other guards on the roster, which 
is very puzzling for me. Like, I don't know if you're a big, maybe he just sort of blindly had faith in coach Martin that he was going to, you know, just plug him right into the starting lineup or something. And maybe he was so set on going to Mizzou that he didn't really, you know, really vet the situations that well. But you'd think when you have pretty legitimate, you know, high level D1 situations that you could be looking at, you're going to do a little bit of research or have somebody around you is going to be saying, Hey, you know, look at what they've got going on. Pinson played quite a bit as a, as a freshman. They've got three sophomore guards, two junior guards. They're probably going to be ahead of you. Maybe you could work past one or two of them, but that has to be a conversation that's being, that's like with him and his team, they've got to be having that conversation when he's being recruited. I would think every team in America has five or more guards on the roster. That is not a Mizzou thing. And a lot of freshman guards don't get a whole lot of playing time, right? It's completely normal for that to happen. And I'm afraid it's going to happen anywhere he goes at, at least at this level. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's inevitable at this point that he's going to have to, I would say 100% he's going to have to take a step down in level of play or conference or whatever you want to call it to get the kind of playing time immediately that he's looking for. And obviously anytime somebody from St. Louis uh, is on the market and it looks like maybe they're not going to be a power five type guy, you know, right away, then the mentions are flooded with uh, slew Mm -hmm. mentions and comments and uh, Travis Ford gets mentioned uh, in replies left and right. So obviously that's definitely Probably a possibility. Probably a better fit. Yeah. I think... Uh, but even in that situation, you're looking at uh, freshman guard uh, that's right. there right now. They're still... Yeah, they've got some decent talent on their roster. I, I think from the very get-go, I just never saw Mario McKinney coming in and being like an immediate contributor because I just think he lacks some of the skills that you need to be a successful d1 player like he just doesn't shoot very well and yeah he's really athletic but in college they play really good defense and you don't just get like a cakewalk to the rim like you do sometimes in high school right and but that was totally fine i mean that was fine yeah we we just thought he would come in and develop but that's obviously not what he had in mind you know he's rated as a four-star player number one player missouri and i just was always like i don't know about that at least not at the college level and um you know, a guy who I always thought Missouri probably could have recruited a little bit harder was Isaiah Mosley, and he now he's down here at Missouri State averaging double-digit points a game, and he looks like a really, really good player, and he could probably play at Mizzou right now. And Mario McKinney kind of did the opposite. And so it leads back to our past conversations about what is Conzo doing in recruiting. <laughs> but you got to recruit you got to recruit Mario McKinney if you're Conzo. Yeah, he's, and there's more... There's definitely more than just his play on the court that went into him being recruited to Missouri. Of course. Um, obviously, he had a relationship with EJ Liddell, uh, teammates with Cam Fletcher, big recruit for the next uh, recruiting class. Family history. Yes. So, but there was still a place for him on the team. I mean, I just don't think, yeah, it's just so weird to me that what seems like a you know just bad understanding of the situation you're walking into would lead to something like this it just seems so strange to me that that at that level of basketball and when you're talking about you know this is your future and potentially a way to make a living you know in the future i don't know it just seems like more thought should be going into it and kind of understanding what you're walking into but that is not the first time that a player has transferred under similar circumstances, and it will be far from the last. That brings us, unfortunately, to the game against Mississippi State. Um, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't feel obligated to talk about it here on this podcast, I would have not watched basically any of the second half of this basketball game. Now that being said, I was known. Uh, during the Kim Anderson era to turn off a Mizzou basketball game only to turn it back on a couple minutes later <laughs> just to see what was going on. <laughs> it's true. Like as 
diehard Mizzou fans, like even though it's ugly, it's kind of like a train wreck, train wreck where you can't look away. You're still like interested in like individual performances right. and that kind of stuff. You just like I can't just not watch, but I'm gonna be honest. I turned this game off with about ten minutes to go, and that was a wonderful decision. And maybe <laughs> I should try doing that more often if they're getting blown out by th- twenty-five points. Well, uh, we still need you to be able to come on to the podcast and talk about it. <laughs> There's not much to talk about. That's true. Uh, this was a disaster from the very beginning. It's just incredible that they only scored forty-five points in this game after scoring fifty-one in the first half against Florida. Yeah, and it really seemed like they were over the just anemic starts to games i thought that they had put that behind them now you know every once in a while you know things don't go perfectly but uh first 10 minutes of this game 19 to 7 mississippi state yeah i have another confession to make Mm -hmm. uh i was uh actually pretty excited about this game last night Gone off the big uh, win, win with against Florida. Of course. And, uh, of course, uh, I have cable, and the game on SEC Network before this game was LSU-Texas A&M, which uh, magically went to overtime, and I literally missed the first, I think, 11 or 12 minutes of the game. I think the, the game switched over to Missouri when they had eight or nine minutes left in the first half. Uh, however, they were nice enough to put a little score box <laughs> up in the right-hand corner that I could uh, – just not Keep track. A yeah, bit. I just got to watch the score and just dwell in misery as I had no idea like what was happening. Um, but I saw it start off as four to zero, and then eight to zero, and then I think it was like ten to zero. And I'm just sitting here shaking my head, and I'm kind of looking at Twitter for a couple of updates and stuff. But I missed 25 percent of the game at the very beginning of the game, and I don't think I missed much. It doesn't sound like, and no. so altogether, I probably only watched half this game combined you yeah you missed uh uh eight or so turnovers uh handful of missed three-pointers and some really good execution by the mississippi state (laughs) offense yeah i mean just when i finally did get switched over to watch the missouri game um it just felt like mississippi state was so far superior to them in every way possible just athletically and execution wise and every way possible mississippi state looks so dominant and they it looked like they barely were trying and they were still just destroying us especially on the inside they didn't even have to shoot from the outside very much they could do everything they wanted uh three feet away from the basket yeah and this is uh it's such a shame that this ended up this way because going into this game against mississippi state I don't think many people were expecting Missouri to win this game. I didn't expect them to win at all. No, we talked about it on the podcast last week that we thought, at least me personally, I thought that this was going to be a worse loss than the Florida game, mm-hmm. which I still thought could have been a loss. And mm-hmm. um, this Mississippi State team is better than the than the zero and three record that they had going into this one. So you just knew it was a matter of time playing at home. Missouri's not the best in the SEC, maybe not top half of the sec without jeremiah tillman uh when you have when your team is known for their elite post play it was just perfect and it was a perfect time for mississippi state to dominate and i still if you told me all that you know going into this game i thought that's gonna be a tough one i don't expect much it was truly it's it's the meme of um our expectations were low but yeah holy crap it was truly the perfect storm of like all things for like a massive blowout and it's insane to me how massive the home court home court advantages in college basketball and obviously both of these games that we've talked about are are great examples of home court advantages uh working out for those teams and going on the road winning on the road anywhere is so so hard to do especially for a missouri team that doesn't normally score well and they're going up against a team that does everything well that missouri doesn't do well like it was just a a terrible matchup they've always done poorly against mississippi state since joining the sec it seems like and and it just i don't know all the all the things you said as well it was truly a perfect storm of of something like this to happen and this is what gives me hope that they just had a bad night and i think they'll be fine like they're i'd still like i'm not saying they're gonna recover and be a tournament team i think we can probably put that talk to bed at least at this point but they're not going to play this poorly every night. This is a complete outlier, as, on the other hand, the Florida game is probably an outlier. Okay, so that brings up the question, which, if you had to say which one of these two performances were closer to 
reality and closer to what we can expect the rest of the season, which one is it? I'm going to say the Mississippi State game because I just felt like the struggles that we had in this game are still reminiscent of the struggles we've had all year. The things we did well against Florida were totally new. Yeah. It was just like, oh, wow, where does this come from? We were shooting well. This is totally out of character. It was the Mississippi State game was, oh, we're back to that, and it's even worse than before. Yeah. So uh, if it wasn't worse than before, we would at least just be back to, you know, where we were before the Florida game, Mm -hmm. which that was just – I still can't believe the roller coaster the last three games have been. Um, expecting a win, I think a lot of people expected a win against Tennessee, and then looking terrible. Uh, a lot of people probably expected to get blown out by Florida and doing the opposite, and then just not showing up against Mississippi State. That's just and it was reflected in the Ken Palm rating for the Missouri offense. It went from triple digits to about 80 after the Florida Florida game. And now it's back to 108. Oh, my word. So the offensive efficiency ranking just went, it took that roller coaster ride. Right. It truly felt like Ben Howland did such a good job scouting Missouri. Um, they were so ready for the kind of ch- a little bit change of style and play that Missouri uh, had and even against Mississippi State, they were pushing the ball a lot more than they have all year. They were trying to score in transition. They were trying to play a little faster and more aggressively. It just didn't work this time because I really felt like the opposing team was like, okay, now we know you do this. And Florida obviously was completely caught off guard. We'd never played like that. So Ben Howland would just—he's a great coach. Yeah, and the size of Mississippi State—they uh, were just able to neutralize what worked against Florida. Mississippi State had five, uh, sorry, eight blocked shots, and it just looked like Missouri's players were back to being not as athletic, not as tall, and just unable to finish around the rim. And then, um, I don't know, it just, when the outside shots don't fall, it's just, what are you going to do? I mean, they went from shooting in the Florida game 63%. 12 of 19 from three and then turn around against Mississippi state and shoot five of 25. Um, most threes was shared between Mark Smith and Mitchell Smith. They both shot five. Mitchell Smith made zero out of five three pointers. Yeah. I think the very first possession I think I saw when it switched over from the previous game was Mitchell Smith putting up a brick and then somebody got an offensive rebound and kicked it out to him and then he airballed. Yes. I was like, okay, this is how tonight's going to go. Yeah. Um, not representing my three on three squad very well (laughs) in this one, although he has played well, he has, uh, in recent games. Uh, so Mark Smith and Kobe Brown were combined four for nine from three. Uh, go ahead and throw in Javon Pickett's one of one and your five of 10. The rest of the team, 0 for 15. My God. (laughs) And they only shot 10 free throws. Mississippi State only shot seven free throws, but they were perfect, 7 of 7. Because they just didn't have to do anything. I mean, and it's not like they, they did whatever they wanted to down low. It's not like they shot the lights out like Missouri did against Florida. Yeah, that's what made it less of what seemed like a lucky game for Missouri against Florida is because, yeah, they just made a lot of threes. And, yeah, Mississippi State just did exactly what they do all the time. They were just really efficient down low because they had the massive side uh, height advantage. And Yeah. Uh, so the points per 100 possessions in this game for Missouri was uh, one – I'm sorry, sorry, 70 points per 100 possessions which puts it like i said earlier at sixth worst in the kim pom era there was uh before you know a couple garbage time baskets they were sitting at like 68 which would have been fourth worst all time does it say what the other games are or is it just rank oh yeah what was the worst one the worst one ever would have been 2015 at Kentucky 
Oh, Wayne Missouri uh, lost scored, by like fifty points. Yeah, scored thirty-seven points. And then same year uh, against Kansas State. Oh yeah, that was one of those like preseason not tournament. yep non-conference yeah. tournaments. So uh, three three of the top three of the worst six now are twenty fifteen. <laughs> What was the year we lost to like Eastern Illinois at home? Was that sixteen or was that Kim Anderson's last year? Whatever yeah. that year that was. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Um, I don't think none of those make the the top ten mm-hmm. that's listed on Ken Palm, but uh, Eastern Illinois ninety points for one hundred possessions. So I guess that's honestly not even as bad as losing to Charleston Southern at home. So no, it's like we're not even. We're like making fun of our past, but we're still kind of there yeah. in some ways. <laughs> you didn't have to say it like just quite like that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see here. So now after this Mississippi State game, uh, Missouri drops to nine and seven, one and three in conference, sixty eighth in Ken Palm, one hundred eighth on offense, fifty fourth on defense. Uh, like we said, uh, defense in SEC play so far has not been great, but uh, hopefully as the schedule. Um, eases up a little bit that'll maybe get back towards the middle of the pack because right now they're bottom half or worse in the sec in conference play and basically every defensive analytic except for turnover percentage and steal percentage forcing turnovers number one in the sec so far it's just mind-blowing man when you when you put it like that it's just the things that they historically i guess historically in the in the in the conzo era the things they've done well and the things uh, they, they have done terribly and the things they have struggled with, they've done really, really well. Like what is going on in the last three or four games in SEC play? Speaking of, they are third in the SEC in three-point shooting, <laughs> but ninth overall in offensive efficiency. So, so bizarre. So you could say there is room to improve. Anything else about uh, those two games before we preview a couple? Absolutely not. So they go on the road again, or stay on the road, maybe, I don't know, against uh, Alabama. <laughs> uh, Alabama is 8-7, and 1-2 and two in conference, 54th in Ken Palm, 36th on offense, 90th on defense. Of course, this is a first year for their new coach, Nate Oates, came from Buffalo, I believe, where he coached Wes Clark, I think. Correct. And uh, so they do have seven losses, uh, but only one of those was to a team outside the Ken Palm Top 100, and they did lose in double overtime to Florida. They beat the Mississippi State team that just destroyed Missouri. Nice. And they lost to Kentucky. They do play Auburn tonight, and so we'll see how that goes. We can probably assume Auburn wins that one. They are the third fastest team in the country, according to Ken Palm. And number one in the SEC. They are led by two guards, uh, Kyra Lewis and John Petty. Petty, a 50% three-point shooter this season. And uh, they also have uh, one guy that I would say maybe watch out for is junior forward Alex Reese, who's just really efficient uh, scoring when he gets the opportunity. Shoots 34% from three and 57% from two. I actually penciled this game in as a win whenever we did our like SEC previews yeah. a couple weeks ago. I am so far the opposite. I feel, I feel the opposite about this game now um, because I think Alabama has proved against good teams that they have the ability to score. They're super athletic. Uh, at least last year they were like all hair team. They all have great hair. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, they shoot super well, and they play super fast. That terrifies me, Yeah, um, at least for Missouri's case. Yeah, uh, I think when we did the previews, I kind of thought, well, they could maybe grab one of these two Mm -hmm. road games. Um, Obviously, that's very much in doubt at this point. Um, The only thing you can hope for is that they just have an off shooting night. Um, That's kind of a lot to hope for in this case because John Petty is so good. You know, he's going to make a few even. He's going to get some points even if it's not very efficiently. Um, Alabama's defense struggles to force turnovers, and they are uh, 13th in the SEC in three-point percentage defense. So there are a couple areas there where maybe Missouri can 
be okay on offense. But other than that, they're, they're really athletic and long guys with good wingspans. You know, they don't, they're maybe not the most technically sound defensive team, but they're athletic enough to overcome that a little bit. So kind of the, the opposite of Missouri that just kind of has to play really technically sound defense. Has to, to play overcome, really hard. <laughs> yeah, to overcome uh, a lack of athleticism. Yeah, I just don't feel great about it. I mean, maybe you look for Missouri to be motivated coming off an embarrassing loss, and maybe the coaching staff can get it in their heads. Like, you, everybody thinks you're this team now that just lost to Mississippi State. Is that the team that you are, or you know, what are we going to do here? We got we got a lot of, of uh, SEC season left, so you know, which team are you going to be? Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I feel bad about this one. Like I said, I think this is probably another double-digit loss. Um, I surely hope that they don't play as poorly as they did against Mississippi State or really anything resembling that. I I hope they just come out and compete um, and just have something to build on for a winnable game that's that's coming up after Alabama. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you 100% there. I think Missouri probably loses this one. Um, I think Alabama can do enough on offense to uh, not have to worry about playing spectacular defense, especially against Missouri, who struggles on offense. And for some reason, Missouri's defense has not lived up to expectations now that conference play has started. So I would look for that to continue. And hopefully it's just, hopefully we can look at it as being, you know, a good game at least. You know, the Mississippi State game was right. the opposite of a good game. The one that I don't, that I'm like okay with missing half yeah. the game. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> one that you want to turn off uh, with t- 10 minutes left or more. So, yeah, I still think Missouri's probably going to lose this one, but I really hope they can keep it close. It's hard to, it's hard to predict what this team will do now after they blew out Florida and then just got housed by Mississippi State. So, you will get no hot takes from us. No, not on this one. <laughs> maybe maybe next time. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned uh, the schedule easing up a little bit. They get to play Texas A&M, um, and that is a return to home, a return home to Columbia. So A&M is ranked 136th in Ken Palm, uh, second worst, I believe. Yeah, Vanderbilt, the uh, worst ranked team in the SEC. So uh, A&M, the second worst. They're 276th on offense wow and 53rd on defense and another first year uh in the sec coach uh buzz williams who i'm still trying to figure out how texas a&m got this guy like if you look at yeah he's a great coach yeah how he coached marquette right place right time to an elite eight you know multiple 20 plus win seasons coached at virginia tech was coming off of a a protected seed in the NCAA tournament, a four seed, went to the Sweet 16, won 26 games, and decides that he, he really wants to go to Texas A&M. He may just have wanted out of the ACC. I don't know, man. It's a tough conference to play in. Except this year, uh, according to Kim Palm, the SEC is actually a better conference from top to bottom than the ACC is, which is kind That's, of shocking to yeah, say. Pretty strange. But I would say most years, the SEC is gonna you're gonna have an easier path to the tournament than the ACC. Um, but he was doing so well at Virginia Tech that, I mean, they were going to have a path there regardless. But yeah. I watched a little bit, obviously, I watched a little bit of their game against LSU through the night whenever I was, I was not <laughs> yeah. happy about it, but I did watch some of their game. And um, yeah, Savion Flag pretty much carried them. Um, and, and he not only carried them, but was very much, even when they weren't making baskets, he seemed like the person that was taking them. Um, so he was either going to make or miss the shot. It was going to be him taking it. So that was definitely one thing that stood out to me, at least in crunch time, they were looking to him. Yeah. Uh, I was looking through, you know, eight and seven, not a good record for uh, Texas A&M. They're two and two in conference though. I was looking at some of their wins. They could, they are, you know, a few bounces of a basketball from having a terrible record right now. They have wins against uh, the following teams who are all ranked 250th or worse in Kempom. Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe, Troy, Corpus Christi, and Texas Southern, they won those four games by an average of four points. 
And then they also lost to number 257, Fairfield. So they have not performed well against some pretty bad competition, uh, similar to that of uh, Charleston Southern, who Missouri lost to. Yeah, they they've really not had a good year at all, and and we've talked about it a couple times on on this podcast. I think they'll be they'll be fine uh, with long term with Buzz Buzz yeah. Williams for sure. But this year's going to be rough for them, and I I predicted them to probably finish in the bottom two in the SEC and I still think that's probably where they they will land but they really did put up a nice fight against LSU who's in my mind a, a really really solid team so they have the capability to come out and and really guard you and and keep it close and I don't think they play too tremendously fast so it, we could be looking at a pretty low scoring game yeah uh you mentioned Savion Flag he's uh one of their leaders he's a junior and uh yeah he's pretty much their only outside threat to make a three-pointer uh, the team overall is pretty terrible from three, and they don't shoot very many of them. So if you're looking for a guy to watch out for just like a general scoring threat, it's definitely him, as well as senior uh, big man Josh Nebo. He is a 73% field goal, sh- field goal shooter this year, and he gets to the line more than anyone else in the country. He is number one in free throw rate. I'm playing a lot of these dudes lately, it seems like. Yeah, it does seem that way. All these big guys that can get to the line. Over under 13 free throw attempts for Josh Nebo. Yeah, I really feel like he's the key to Texas A&M winning the game because obviously we know what Missouri's weakness is, and it's exactly guys like him. So we saw Blackshear have a great game. We saw Reggie Perry have a great game. Uh, I think Nebo's got got a chance to have a great game, so they're going to have to lock down on him for sure, and they're going to have to send multiple guys on. I don't know if it's Kobe Brown or Reed Nico or who's going to be on him most of the game, but gonna have to keep guys on the floor stay out of foul trouble speaking of kobe brown i want to see more of him just in general agree um interesting that trey jackson didn't basically didn't get into the game against mississippi state i mean especially a game where walk-ons got to play uh trey jackson logged officially one minute the same amount as brooks ford so I guess if you're not going to play him, I want to see Kobe Brown play more than 20 minutes a game. It's not like these other guys are giving you a reason to stick with them, especially offensively. And if Coach Martin trusts him enough on defense to have him playing 20 minutes a game, you got to try to give him 25. Uh, back to Texas A&M, though. They are not bad on defense. Uh, you mentioned that. They are fourth in the SEC in defensive efficiency, but they did play Vanderbilt, which kind of skews that a little bit. Um, they are 14th in the SEC in tempo. Wow. So Yeah, this is going to be a low-scoring game, potentially. Yeah. Plotting, you could Plotting's say. Plotting is a good word, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully uh, Kobe Brown plods for about 20 points against Texas A&M because he was committed to them uh, before flipping I didn't even remember to that. Missouri. Yes, that's true. Yeah, so maybe he'll... Uh, didn't want to play for Buzz Williams. <laughs> maybe he'll have an extra special game against his... Uh, I guess, sort of his former team. Uh, Missouri's going to pull this one out, though, right, at home? Correct. You got, you have to. No hot takes from us. <laughs> you have to win this game. Yeah. And you really need to pretty much make it convincing. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think it will be convincing, honestly. I think they'll win, but I think it'll be close. And All right. Just statistically, because I think there'll be a low possession game. Neither team's going to play. Not, neither team's going to shoot well. I think it'll be like a 55 to 49 kind of game. Maybe not 49. That's super low, but it'll be low scoring. That's pretty low. Uh, all right. I'll give you a hot take. Missouri's going to win big. All right. And in a, in a low possession game, I'm talking 8 to 12. They're going to win by 8 to 12. They're going to win 8 to 12? Like they're going to win, win by gonna, four points? Yes, exactly. Okay. That's, that margin, is a hot take. The, <laughs> the margin of victory for Missouri in this one will be in the 8 to 12 point range. Okay. What, what? How many points are they going to score? Missouri? Correct. Uh, 66. Execute order. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I could see that. That wouldn't that wouldn't shock me. Um, I was trying to give you like a little scenario, but I was going to ask you what <laughs> something that wouldn't make sense considering you just predicted a blowout. So I'm not going to ask you what I was going to ask <laughs> I you. I didn't really predict a blowout, but. Um, what, what percentage chances Mizzou lose this game? 
Oh, let's see here. Uh, Are you surprised by a loss? I am surprised. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if they lose this game, then Call off the all bets are off. Gotcha. We could be looking at a bottom four. The wheels are off. Situation. Yep. Cool. Uh, there's no way they should lose this one. Agree. Glad we're in agreement. First time ever for that. True. <laughs> it's, it's refreshing. Uh, I am curious to see what Kim Bomb says as far as uh, Missouri's percentage chance to win. They've got it at 79% for that's Missouri. pretty good. Yeah. Well, Kyle, that's all I have. Uh, hopefully, we can talk about a win next time. Let's talk about at least one win. Yeah. Probably all just, right. Probably just one win. Probably. <laughs> but we said that about... Uh, we said... I remember we were talking even after we ended the podcast last week about we might be coming back next week for, with a couple of losses meeting against Florida and Mississippi State. So, yeah. And we got one out of that. So True. you never know. All right. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We are on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod. And you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. And I'm on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week. See you on the other side.